0: do you have a Bible with you okay I had the mumbles again there yes I hope that you have a Bible with you. Either turn it on. If you need a Bible, we have a stack in the, in the uh, lobby. If you need me to buy one for you, tell me, I'll get you one. But you need a Bible, not just because you see the verses on the screen. I almost took them down before the service thinking, don't rely on the screen. Open the Word and read it for yourself, and don't just trust the person preaching. Uh, look to the Word of God. We're this morning, we are at the end of uh, our journey uh, looking at uh, the gospel according to Luke of the life of Jesus Christ. We're in Luke chapter 23 verses 50 through Luke chapter 24 verse 12. Uh, This week I was driving and I was listening to the radio and I was amazed as I did not hear the beginning of the conversation, but this man was speaking uh, about the atonement of Christ on a show that usually would be focused on news. And he kept going on about the atonement of Christ for the sins of God's people. And I was amazed going, this is on the airwaves right now and this is not the typical Christian channel that you listen to. This man expressed he was so thankful that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. But just before the commercial break, he made a very strange statement. He said, and if I die and I wake up and I'm just in a box in the dirt for the rest of my life, I'll be thankful. This man gave no hope of eternal life for those who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ uh, that he shed for their sins. And it was one of those just strange things that I heard. And so, yes, we are thankful for the forgiveness that is provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. But for the believer, we have much hope. Jesus Christ died on the cross to shed his blood to save his people from their sins on Good Friday. And last week, we drew our attention to the death of Jesus Christ. And today, we read of the burial of Jesus Christ before the Sabbath began, but death as we will read, cannot hold Jesus Christ in the grave. And so today, just as on Easter Sunday, and just as in every single day for the believer, we celebrate and rejoice that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is not dead, but is alive. Amen? Amen. He is risen. risen. Well, you guys started off stronger the first time. I'll give you another chance. He is risen. Amen. Would you look at Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50, through chapter 24, verse 12. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. We have just been blessed to read the words of God Almighty that Luke, as he interviewed people, was led by the Holy Spirit to write the words that we would read today of the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look to the text Most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with this text because of attending Easter services, and most likely at some point, if you've attended many Easter services, you have heard a pastor in the pulpit preach on this text, and I've been praying this week that we would all learn and the Holy Spirit would help us understand even greater the glorious resurrection of Christ, and it would not just be another Sunday in which we are thankful for the Lord's death and for His resurrection, and we leave here unchanged. Would you look with me as we look at chapter 23, verses 50 through 56, and to celebrate the risen Savior, we must first understand that Jesus actually died. The first point is that you must understand that Jesus Christ died Yes, we read of this text last week in chapter 23, where it says in verse 46 that he breathed his last around 3 p.m., that he gave up his spirit, that he died at that point. And so a question for you is when someone dies, what do you do with their body? You bury them? Or even if uh, it is cremation, you prepare a body for its resting place here on the earth. Well, do you know that God, in His law, specifically for the nation of Israel, said something specific in regards to bodies of people who were hung on a tree? If you turn to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21, here is God's law for the people of God in verse 22. It says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. God specifically had told the nation of Israel that if you hang someone on a tree for a crime and they are dead, that you are to take them down before the end of the day. And therefore, Jesus' body must come off the cross before the Sabbath begins. Jesus Christ died. He physically died on the cross. His heart stopped beating. The the blood stopped pulsing through his veins, and he breathed his last, and he died. But the question is this. If he died around 3 o'clock, and the Sabbath begins at 6 o'clock, you have a short time to take him off the, the cross and to put him in a tomb. And how do you do that? Well, Luke tells us in verse 50, there's a man named Joseph. He's from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he's a member of the council. And you think, well, wait a minute. Wasn't it the council that just put Jesus to death? The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Israel, they were the ones who went to Pilate and asked that Jesus be crucified because they found him guilty of blasphemy. And now you have a man named Joseph of Arimathea who's a member of a council who's now asking for the body of Jesus to be taken down. Well, if you read Matthew's account in chapter 27 and if you read in Mark chapter 15, we find out more about Joseph. Joseph is not just from Arimathea. But the other gospel accounts say that he's rich. He's also a disciple of Jesus. And Mark says he's a secret disciple of Jesus. So among the council that puts Jesus to death, you find one named Joseph who is a secret disciple of Jesus. And Luke says in verse 51, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Well, not only you have Joseph, But if you read this week John chapter 19, read John chapter 19, you'll read of another man who was with Joseph. Anyone know the name of that man? John chapter 19 says there's a man named Nicodemus. A person who's a Pharisee, you read John chapter 3, he was the man who came to Jesus at night, again, secretly hiding, and he begins to ask Jesus Jesus questions, and Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again, and goes on to explain how that process happens and how God does that work in a person. But it is Nicodemus who also comes with Joseph if you look at our text in verse 52, Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. He takes down the body. He has to remove the nails from the body. He wraps the body in linen cloths. And the gospel accounts say that about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe are anointed over the body of Jesus as he is wrapped in linen before he is placed in the tomb. But I thought about him going to Pilate. Was he afraid? If you were there, you've been a part of the council, you're a secret disciple of Jesus, they've just crucified him, and someone's got to go and ask for the body of Jesus, you would think his disciples, they were not there. You would think that the women, we saw at the end of Luke chapter 49, the crowd that was watching afar, but no one comes for the body of Jesus who were one of his close followers. You have someone who's a secret disciple of Jesus asking. And Pilate gives permission. Jesus' body is taken down. And the reason why we spend time in this, because some of us may go, okay, he was buried. Let's go to the resurrection part. If you skip over the burial of Jesus Christ, you skip over a key point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, shows us that the details of the burial of Jesus Christ are just as important and part of the plan of God. 700 years approximately before Jesus Christ was born, which we celebrate at Christmas time, Isaiah wrote in chapter 53. Read Isaiah chapter 53 this week. It says this in verse 59. I'm sorry. In verse nine of chapter fifty three. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Luke draws attention to the burial of Christ, just as actually turn to first Corinthians chapter fifteen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul not only speaks of the death of Christ and the burial, I mean the resurrection of Christ, but he speaks of the burial of Christ because it's a key point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only was it prophesied and fulfilled, being buried in a rich man's tomb, but it proves the fact that Jesus Christ physically died. And you must die physically if you're going to have a physical resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers, the church in the city of Corinth. And as he writes to them, he reminds them and says, Remember the most important thing that I taught you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. See verse 4? That he was what? Buried. He was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. And it goes on to uh, who witnessed his resurrection and who saw him. But if anyone ever asks you, what is the gospel? Please do not say the Bible. If anyone asks you, what is the gospel? Please do not say Jesus you're getting closer, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of his people in accordance with Scripture, meaning he fulfilled what was prophesied. He was buried in a tomb because he died, and on the third day, according to Scripture, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, he rose from death to life, conquering sin, conquering Satan, and conquering death. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want the shortest summary of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4 is a summary in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the burial of Jesus Christ is of great importance to you if you say that you are a Christian. The burial is part of this assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you look at verses 55 and 56, go back to Luke 23, you see the women. They were mentioned in the last chapter. We also saw them all the way back in Luke chapter 8. These women from Galilee, we see them in uh, chapter 24, which we read. It's Mary Magdalene, Joanna. Mary, the mother of James, and some other women that are mentioned, they have been on this journey, following Jesus, serving him, ministering to him, just following his teaching, being with him. They were there at the cross, watching from afar, and here they are the ones to receive the good news first. These women saw where Jesus' body was laid. Therefore, when they go back on the Sabbath, do not believe the lies and the things they're like, oh, they went to the wrong tomb. They saw where Jesus was buried and they prepared to take these spices and these uh, myrrh and aloe to go and anoint the body of Jesus. Possibly because that three hours of preparing Jesus' body was done quickly. Maybe they were thinking the guys didn't do it right, so we need to go do this better. And they're on their way that morning to the tomb. And so we must understand that Jesus died. But also to celebrate and rejoice in our risen Savior, you must also see that Jesus was not found in the tomb. The second point is see that Jesus was not found in and the tomb was found empty. Look at chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. As you turn back there, this week our family went to the fair. I don't know if you went to the fair here in town, but as we were there, we went into a building, and there was a booth off to my left, and as I see that, I see a smiley face, and I see the word Jesus, and there's these little boxes, and there's verses on the wall, and so we went over to talk to the man who was there seated, and he gets up and begins to uh, lay out, in a sense, the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. But I kept seeing this poster on the back wall, and it had these weird, lines on it, and, and, and I looked at it, and we're looking at the other stuff, listening to the man, and I saw it again. I'm like, what is that thing? Uh, and I, we're looking down at these pamphlets and all this stuff, and we look at it again, and then it hit me as these lines that were there, the name of Jesus began to come into focus. Something I looked at, I didn't see. And it's important that you would know and understand that the women went to the tomb and saw with their eyes that it was empty. Look at verse 1 of chapter 24. The first day of the week, early dawn, at daybreak, if you've been up early recently, before that sun is rising in the morning, it's a beautiful morning. And the sun is rising. These women are going grieving, not knowing that it's a new day. I mean, they know it's a new day, but they don't know it's a new, new day. That the old is gone, the new is come. This eternal joy for God's people is at hand. Joy, hope, and eternity. They do not know what they're going to see in the tomb. And it says in verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. If you read the other gospel accounts, the women are discussing and talking about who's going to roll the tomb, the stone away from the tomb. If you have not read the other gospel accounts, that the tomb's been sealed. There's Roman soldiers who are there guarding the tomb so that no one would take the body out of the tomb. In verse 2, they found the stone rolled away, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. As we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, we've been seeing that Luke has been interviewing eyewitnesses to all of these counts of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Christ and his ascension. And here again... Most likely speaking to these women, they explain what they saw. They go, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. Actually, Peter, when he goes in there, all that they see is the linen cloths that were once wrapped around Jesus laying where he would, his body had been laid, the head cloth folded and set in a place. That is what they saw was an empty tomb. And not only the women saw that, not only as we see Peter run to the tomb in a minute and he sees that, but if you read the gospel accounts, the Roman guards acknowledge the tomb is empty. They acknowledge that the body of Christ is gone. Even the Jewish leaders acknowledge that the tomb was empty. So they make up a story. They're like, hey, you guys just say this happened or whatever and if Pilate has a problem, we'll just pay him off and, and we'll take care of that. But everyone acknowledged that the tomb was empty. The body of Christ is gone. So do not believe the things of this world where they lay out things of like, well, this was done and all that. Jesus' body was gone. And therefore, we understand that Jesus died we see that the tomb was found empty. And to celebrate and rejoice in the risen Savior, we must hear the words of Scripture, He is risen. And I know you wanted to say He is risen indeed, right? <laughs> well, look at verses 4 through 8. The third point is that you must hear the words, He is risen. It says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek? the living among the dead he is not here but he is what he is risen and i thought about that statement why do you seek the living among the dead The only place that I could think of of a person who was living among the dead was back in Luke chapter 8. The man who was demon-possessed and he was living among the tombs. If you weren't here with this, this guy, he would cut himself and he would break the chains and everyone was afraid of him and he lived among the tombs being tortured by the demons who possessed him. And when Jesus arrived on the shore, that he, this demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs came to Jesus, fell down before Jesus, and Jesus cast the demons out of that man, and he was in his right mind, and they clothed him, and they brought him back into the city. But here is the words of the angels to the women. He is not here, but he has risen. And those are the greatest the most glorious words that we could ever hear, that Jesus Christ is risen. As we just looked in 1 Corinthians, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must not only hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you must believe it to be saved. You must believe that Jesus Christ atone for your sins, shedding his blood on the cross, and God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son that was meant for you, and that Jesus Christ died in your place. You must believe that he was buried in a tomb, and you must believe on the third day that his body was not there, and he was raised from death to life. And as we rejoice in the resurrection of Christ... We celebrate him. We rejoice that Jesus Christ is the great victor over Satan's sin and death. And with that, I would point you to a few passages of scriptures of the wonderful truths of the resurrection of Christ for the believer. Number one is that Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. Well, what does that mean? We come to these big words at times and you should not fear words that you read in the Word of God. If you don't know what it means to be justified or the justification of the believer, you need to seek that understanding. And the Word of God not only teaches us that, but you must go to a brother or sister in Christ or go to the church leadership and say, I need help in this. We have repeatedly come back to what it means to be justified. It means this picture and this sense of being right before God, that your sins are gone or atoned for and specifically by the work of Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 23 and 25. The Apostle Paul writes and tells us that Jesus Christ was raised from death to life for our justification. It says in verse 23, "...but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also." It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The atoning death of Jesus Christ for your sins and his resurrection from death to life are required for our justification before a holy God. You see, God the Father accepted accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice, His blood shed for our sins and His death, and He therefore then poured out the wrath on God. If you think about this for a minute, this, this fall, we're going to be looking at the attributes of God beginning next month. And one of the things that we're going to see as we study the attributes of God is you must understand and know, even though you don't want to think about it, is God is a God of wrath. And God pours out His wrath on sin. And God poured out His wrath on the Son for taking on the sins of His people. And so God the Father accepted that. But, with that acceptance, He also raises the Son from death to life. And for all who believe in Him, are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes of this and teaches us in the New Testament of the sense that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, not only your sins are forgiven, but it's like this: putting on this big cloak, this big robe of Jesus Christ's righteousness. So when God the Father sees you, He sees His Son's righteousness and He says, that is my son, that is my daughter, you are a child of mine and He adopts you and He brings you into His kingdom and He promises you an inheritance which is so great and so glorious and so wonderful and eternal to be with Jesus forever. So Jesus Christ was not only shed his blood for our justification, but he was raised for our justification. Jesus Christ was also raised so that his people would be born again to a living hope. Turn to First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 which tells us why Jesus is raised from death to life. It says in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Read. 1 Peter chapter 1 this week. Go back and read that passage. Did you see how packed full it was? We mentioned Nicodemus a few minutes ago. He comes to Jesus at night. Jesus says, you must be born again. He goes, how does that happen? He said, it's a work of God. And here you read in 1 Peter. He's like, hey, to be born again, God must cause you to be born again. The Holy Spirit renews your heart so that when you hear the gospel of Jesus, you see how great your sin is. And have you broken God's law and you see Jesus Christ on the cross And you see his mercy and his grace poured out for you, and you can't but believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved. But Jesus Christ was raised so that we, his people, would have a living hope, that we'd be born again to a living hope. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, because another benefit or a truth of the Uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ was raised to give his people assurance that they will not be rejected or condemned by God the Father turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 31 Romans chapter 8 verse 31 through 34 what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us I mean if you stop right there you should say praise God amen that Jesus Christ is alive, but also, as we'll see in Luke 24, He ascended to heaven, and He's right now interceding for His people. What a wonderful thing to hold to. And to have the assurance, the resurrection of Christ, that He's not dead, but He's alive, that assurance for God's people is that you will not be rejected, you will not be condemned for all eternity in hell, hell, with the wrath of God, because... Christ has bought you with his blood and he's redeemed you and God has made you his own through faith in Christ alone. If you want more assurance of that, read John chapter 10. Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, will never lose his people and he will make sure that his people make it to eternity with him in heaven face to face forever. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says that if you are a follower of Christ, that you've been blessed with all the spiritual blessings now and in the future. And one of the blessings with that, and here's a few things of this, is there are blessings that come from the resurrection of Christ. And here's just three of them. As Jesus Christ was raised, all Christians, all believers will be raised to eternal life. And so, when you die, if if you leave this room today and you breathe your last, you drop dead outside, and you're like, "Oh, I'm pastor. That's horrible. Don't say that." Or if you're on your way home and you're taken out in a car accident, you're like, "Don't talk about this stuff." Well, know this: there's a day appointed for you to die. God knows when that is. He is in control of all things, and we don't know when that will happen. But for the believer, the moment that you die, like the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you enter your kingdom, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. If you die today, believer, you go to be with Christ. And the wonderful thing is, at some point, your body, which goes in the ground and goes back to the dust, will be raised, and you will have a glorified body No more sin. No more pain. No more disease. No more sorrow. No more sadness. Because you'll be with Christ. And one other benefit that I was reflecting on this week is the Word of God tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from death to life. Now, if you think of that for a moment, the power to raise Jesus from death to life, and the Word of God goes on to say that that same power, the Holy Spirit, resides in you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, with that is a whole another series of sermons and teachings is walking by the power of the Holy Spirit and holiness day in and day out that it is possible because it's the power of God? Look, at, look back in our text here in Luke 24, verse 6. It says, remember how he told you, the angels tell them, the women says, remember when you were still in Galilee, remember way back when he was in Galilee with you. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. And they remembered his words. They had already forgotten what Jesus had said, which the gospel accounts say a number of times. Jesus specifically said that I will die in this way. I will be buried and on the third day I will rise. But they had all forgotten it. And here the angels say that and they said, oh, we do remember that. When we were in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 18, we read of the words of Christ when he spoke those things and said this is exactly what will happen and exactly what he said what did happen. And therefore, when we read these words, we are so blessed to read the words of God because God has recorded those things that he's given to men by the power of the Holy Spirit to write down so that we would read it now, that we would hear it, and that we would apply it in our life. After Jesus died, uh, Thomas, one of his disciples, said, I'm not going to believe until I see Jesus' hands, see the holes, until I touch his side. And Jesus appears to the disciples. And Thomas, he's like, Thomas, come here. See the nail holes. See the side. And Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who do not see but believe. Therefore, if you believe in Jesus Christ today, you are blessed because you have not had to see the physical evidence like Thomas was asking for. But you believe in the word of God because the Holy Spirit of God has given you the ability to do so. And when it says they remembered his words, I thought about one of our greatest problems, or one of my greatest problems is forgetting. Any of you ever forget anything? I mean, you've got your checklist your phone is blowing up and I still forget to do something. How easy is it for us to sometimes forget the words of God? They forgot the words of Christ. He said this would happen. Therefore, what is needed that I believe is rejected many times is the consistent reading and preaching of the Word of God among the body of Christ that you and I need to read and listen to the Word of God every single day that we would remember the words of God and that we would continue to grow in our faith in Him. And so if you have a problem of forgetting, keep reading. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and your heart and will remind you the wonderful truths of God. Well, we must understand that Jesus died. We must see that the tomb is empty. We must hear the words that he has risen, and we must reject the idle tales of the world. Look briefly here at verses 9 through 11. They return from the tomb. The women go to the 11 disciples. It says the names of the ladies which we already looked at, and they tell them, We saw these angels. The tomb is empty. Here's what he said in verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The women were not believed by the disciples. Unbelief fills the mind of the disciples. Whether it was an influence culturally where women's stories would not be accepted in a court of law, maybe they were not going to believe what they said here, Or was it simply the fact that unbelief filled their minds? They saw Jesus die. They lost all the hope that they had in him. And I thought, just as I would be one of the ones crow- yelling in the crowd, crucify him, I would say, I would be with one of these disciples. I'd probably be hiding from, for my life in a room. And I would not believe what these women are telling me. Because I would think it was nonsense. And so just as these women told them this story, they thought it was that, simply a story, a myth, nonsense. And as I reflected on their response, I thought about your response as a believer in Christ. How many times do you hear something that sounds new about the Word of God, which is not true, and you just kind of accept it? You must reject the idle tales of the world. You'll see this around Christmas time. You'll see it around Easter. You got the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, all the Time Magazine, all these things start putting out. Did Jesus really die? When he was born, what did that, I mean, and on and on. Here's a list of some things that the world teaches. Some of you may have believed, and some of you may still wonder if it's true now. Someone moved the body of Jesus. Because Mary It says that she thought someone moved the body of Jesus, so someone moved him. Well, we know the tomb was empty, but some people believe, oh, they stole his body. The disciples stole the body, which we know from the Gospels that the religious leaders told that lie. Some others say, well, the religious leaders, they really stole the body of Jesus. Well, if that's the case, then why don't you show the body of Jesus? Some of the other ridiculous things and nonsense of this world is they say, Jesus Christ fainted or swooned on the cross. He didn't really die. After being beaten repeatedly, after being flogged and bleeding profusely, after being nailed to the cross, after they shoved this spear up under his ribcage into his heart, he didn't die. He just swooned. He fainted. Oh yeah, and they put him in the tomb. They wrapped him with all of this, and he didn't stop breathing then, because you know all that. He somehow got the stuff off of him. He rolled the tomb back after three days and not having any food and water and all this and he came out of the tomb. There are people, possibly even you, who believe that in this world. But you say that's nonsense. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth of God's word. Others believe stories like there was a thief that died with him who goes in the tomb with him and he just happened to be a doctor and he wakes up even though he's got broken legs and he fixes up a poultice and he gets them out of the tomb. I mean, the stories go on and on and on. Stop believing the ridiculous things where people say, well, according to science, read the Word of God. Believe it as truth. Oh, there's so many other things. Some believe that Jesus had a twin brother. Died in his place. Other people believe that the disciples just hallucinated. 500 people at once projecting a thought thought from their mind. They all did it at once and saw Jesus. I mean, these are the things that are nonsense and you must reject them. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes of this about the resurrection of the dead. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But there, if there is no resurrection of dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Jesus Christ is not alive, we are all wasting our time. I should just shut up right now, and we should all just go and sit in our houses and mope. It says in verse 15, We are even found to be rep- misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ. Whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Whoa! Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then Christians around the globe, man, are to be pitied the most. People should feel sorry for us. But it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus Christ was not in the tomb because he was raised from death to life. Paul, the apostle goes on in verse 32 to say, if the dead are not raised, then let's just go home. Let's have a big party. Let's eat and drink because tomorrow we die. That's all you have for in life. If Christ has not been raised from death to life, all you have is to try to live as best you can in this world and then just die at some point and cease to exist. Isn't that a great, wonderful joy to you? So many in our world believe that. Many in our world believe that. Let's look at the last verse in chapter 24, verse 12. To celebrate and rejoice in the risen Savior, you must run to the tomb and be amazed. Verse 12, but Peter, he hears the story, rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Remember Peter? What did he do the night that Jesus was arrested? Three times, what did he do? He denied knowing Jesus. He's like, I don't even know the guy. Third time, when the rooster crows, he denies Jesus. Jesus is being brought through the courtyard, looks at Peter eye to eye, and Peter begins to weep and to grieve and leaves the place. And again, imagine Peter denying Christ and then seeing, knowing the death of Christ and all hope being gone he hears, what? The tomb's empty? I mean, I don't know how long he delayed, but it says he ran to the tomb. The Gospel of John, John writes, he's like, well, Peter ran to the tomb, but I actually outran him and got there first. And Peter, though, is the one who goes into the tomb and he sees the cloths that bound Jesus' body. He saw the head covering folded and sat next to it. And it says he went home marveling at what had happened. When you look at that word marveling, it means to wonder, to marvel at, to be astonished, and to be amazed. And, the, and, and Luke uses this word a number of times. To marvel, wonder at, be astonished, or to be amazed. Here are some of the things in times that he records this word. All of Bethlehem wondered at the testimony of the shepherds on the night that Jesus Christ was born. Mary and Joseph were amazed when they took Jesus to the temple and what was said about their son Jesus Christ. The people that were around Jesus were astonished on the day that he began his ministry and read the word of God and said that he was the one to fulfill that. The disciples, they marveled at the day that they were in the boat and thought they were going to die and drown. And Jesus stood up and with a word rebuked the wind and the waves. The people and the crowds were amazed when Jesus casted a demon out of a boy and another time when he cast him out of a man. And the crowds all marveled when the mute spoke. The cripple were restored. The lame walked and the blind were made to see. Peter goes to the tomb and he marveled. He was amazed that Jesus was not in the tomb. I was going to ask you, have you heard the good news? But yes, you have, because if you've been here and had your ears on, you've heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ preached to you that he is alive, he is risen, he is not in the grave. And my question for you, Christian, for those who are believers, are you still amazed and wonder at the resurrection today? Or is it only on Easter Sunday? When you leave today, when you put your head on your bed tonight, pillow tonight, when you wake up tomorrow morning, will you be in wonder and amazement that the tomb is empty and that Jesus Christ is alive? And that means so much to you and to your life for all eternity. The disciples had their lives changed. They went to the ends of the earth. Every one of them lost their life being beaten, tortured, put to death in horrible ways for proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified for their sins, buried, risen again from death to life. And they were put to death for that. If they had not gone to the ends of the earth and died for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I would not be in this place today. And therefore, over 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, has kept the church together around the globe and he calls you and I to leave this place and proclaim to anyone and everyone that we see when we walk out these doors, Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And I join you and say amen, but you need to pray for me as I pray for you that we would do this. Because I'll get up here and I'll preach to you the gospel, but I'll walk outside and be at the store and a stranger asks me a question and I start shaking it in my boots. Anyone else or is that just me? You and I are called, commanded, commissioned on the mission of God to go and tell the world of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work to call people to himself to open their eyes that they would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, may you be amazed at the empty tomb. As the worship team comes forward and as we close and sing in our praises to the Lord, let us celebrate and rejoice that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is not dead, but is alive. The last verse I'll read to you is John chapter 11. In John John chapter 11, we have the account of Jesus Christ raising his friend Lazarus from death to life. And in that account, as Lazarus had been in the tomb for like four days, and he calls him out of the tomb, in John chapter 11, Jesus has an interaction with one of Lazarus' sisters. And he says this in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I, am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If you believe that, you have the assurance that you will be with God for all eternity. If you do not believe that, and the Lord Jesus Christ has been revealing this truth by the Holy Spirit to you today, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and risen Savior. Father, I pray that as we sing that you would receive the praise from our lips, that you would stir in our hearts wonder, amazement at the fact that the tomb is empty. May you be glorified in our lives. May you fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit to go out from this place and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?